Well, if you're visiting this morning, a very warm welcome to you. Maybe it's your first visit, or you haven't been to church in a long time, or you've never kind of been at all. Well, it's lovely to see you. Please join us in Swansea. If you're from England or elsewhere, and you don't understand the accent, I'm very sorry. I shall slow the words down a little bit for you. And the Rugby World Cup is on, and England did well yesterday. So that was good. It's a good start for the whole nations. That's great. There's a South African man here smiling, as if, you know... They're going to win the World Cup or something like that. Anyway, right, where are we? Right, we're here. We're talking about a series that we're now into the ninth installment, can you believe it? In the boat with Jesus, all right? So what we're looking at in this series is what are the, the stories, the principles, the journey that the disciples were on with Jesus during the course of the New Testament where whenever there was a story about Jesus in the boat, it was always with the disciples, and there was something interesting and special to learn. So this week, we're into session number nine, okay? So are you excited? Yes, we're going for it. So in this particular verse, we're going to look at it in a moment, there's a bit of a collision between Jesus and two of Israel's main religious groups at the time, the Pharisees and Sadducees, all right? So that's what we're looking at today. So I'm going to read through, and the verses will come up on the screen there. So... After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? You still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast using bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay, so this is what is going on. So Jesus has just um, performed a huge miracle in the feeding of the 4,000. So this just precedes these verses here. And uh, Jesus has sent the crowd away back, you know, to their homes, etc. And during um, this time, Jesus has healed so many people in, the, in this um, amazing gathering, okay? The lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, we read in the scriptures, all right? And people are healed, and people are changed. And what we hear is the crowds are amazed at what Jesus is doing, and their lives are being transformed and changed. And um, this is something that, which happens in life. When Jesus has done something, or is doing something in someone's life, and we see change and transformation, it is so good to be um, thanking God for those things. And we read here that the people praised God. And Jesus didn't send them away hungry. He had compassion on them, and he fed them 
with the feet of the 4,000. On this occasion, there's the seven loaves and seven baskets left over. So this is all in Matthew, which just preceded these verses here. And we read also uh, in, Ma- in the account that Mark wrote in chapter 7, that the feeding of the 4,000 took place in a place called the Decapolis, all right? So this, in, in the history of it all, of the, of the uh, geography there, meant 10 cities. So Decapolis means 10 cities. And this was like a loose federation of about 10 ancient Greek cities. And this was for, formed in the Roman conquest of 63 BC by Pompey the Great, who reorganized the Middle East during those times. So the significance here, and why I wanted to talk about that, is the feeding of the 4,000 would have been predominantly a Gentile crowd, not a Jewish crowd, not a Jewish background, people from that kind of community, but this was a a Gentile crowd, people who weren't linked to Israel. So the likes of you and I, maybe, you know, we we weren't connected in any way. We lived in a different area. We had a different culture, different ways of living life, etc., etc. And in verse 31 of Matthew, it talks how the crowd were amazed and they praised the God of Israel, which was interesting words because they mentioned the God of Israel. Okay, so the Gentiles were amazed by the God of Israel and what Jesus was doing. So here we're seeing like a little bit of a different background. So with this group of the 4,000, it was like a Gentile community. And a little interesting fact is the hampers used there, the baskets used Uh, in this area. It's a different word for the one that was used in the 5,000, okay? The baskets here were called spheroids, okay? And they were like hamper-sized. It was uh, usual for a gentle uh, family or person to use that kind of hamper. We read that there's seven baskets left over. And the seven baskets could like symbolize completion. Seven in the Bible often kind of refers to the goodness of God, the completion of God, creation, you know, the, the universe was made and everything, and everything was completed, and there was the Sabbath day, and seven kind of represents completion. The work is done. It, it is done and finished, and a Jewish crowd and a Gentile crowd would kind of know this kind of symbolism. But in the feeding of the 5,000, which would have been more of a Jewish crowd because it happened in Bethsaida, the baskets there was a different root name for that basket, and this was more of a narrow-necked, flask-shaped basket, which Jews often carried with them on journeys, going away for themselves. And we read in that uh, miracle, that if, if you remember, there was 12 baskets left over, if you remember that, and that would represent perhaps the tribes of Israel. Okay, there was 12 tribes, and of course, we, Jesus was training 12 disciples. So there's a lot of symbolism in the miracle, and sometimes God does things like this. He, there's like another, you know, not only is the amazing miracle taking place of the, of the feeding of the multitudes, but there's sometimes there's, there's like another kind of angle to look at and realize what God is up to. And here he's up to blessing Jewish people and blessing Gentile people. And this could have, would have been like an alien thought to many. So the disciples are gradually learning. They're witnessing Jesus at work, the feeding of the 4,000, the miracles taking place. And... Uh, and this was very interesting for them to see what was happening because they were getting their heads around what Jesus was doing, the difference he was making in individuals' lives, no matter what their background, race, culture. But he was at work in the heart of people, making change, doing great things in and amongst everyone. And these were like signs of the kingdom that the Jew and the Gentile have this opportunity to know God, to really have a relationship with him. So the disciples are trying to grasp now Jesus' life-changing ministry, 
And of course, you had the Pharisees and Sadducees who were kind of on a different kind of wavelength at this particular time. Okay, so moving on then. So after the healings and the miracles and the abundance of the feeding of the 4,000, this doesn't really impress the, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, I would be fairly impressed by what Jesus was doing, but not for them. So they're still asking Jesus for a sign from heaven. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. So they want a little bit more. Why is that? Well, first of all, let's have a look at who these guys were, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Like I mentioned earlier, the two main religious like, um, groups in Israel at the time. Now, this was a very unusual combination. They were kind of joining forces to oppose Jesus. And they were very much in opposition themselves as a group, okay? They had very uh, different opinions to life and the, and the approach to life themselves. So first of all, I'll just very briefly uh, mention a little bit about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So first of all, the Pharisees, they weren't a political group, and they had like religious principles, but they would be happy to be under any kind of occupation of other people as long as they could get on with their own thing, if you know what I mean. So, of course, at this time, they were under Roman rule. And they were committed to God's Old Testament commands. They were admired by common people for their apparent good works or piety. Um, they believed in a bodily resurrection and eternal life, and they believed in angels and demons. So just trying to get a bit of a feel for where they're coming from. But also, they behaved like their own rules were just as important for God's rules for living. They were often like hypocritical and pressured others to live up to standards that they couldn't live up to themselves. And we read time after time after time in the New Testament when they came to uh, test Jesus and have a go at Jesus, he'd always swing it back on them about their own attitude and their own lifestyles and how they, you know, how their heart and where their heart was at. So they would have rules for other people but not actually honoring God in their own lives. Their salvation was based on perfect obedience of the law and not on forgiveness of sins. And they missed God's message of grace and mercy. Well, what is grace? Grace is God's um, free gift of forgiveness and love through Jesus' work on the cross. That it's not like we don't earn our salvation, but through faith in him, we can have a relationship with God. And they were missing this grace and mercy message, and they were solely focused on their legal interpretations in every detail. And they were more concerned about appearing to be good, to look good, than obeying God. So there's kind of like this religious kind of, well, they look religious, and they act religious, so they must be, you know, religious. <laughs> but what was going on in their heart? And of course, faith in Jesus is it's a heart thing, isn't it? Our heart, God is at work in our hearts. He softens our hearts. When things go on in life, which challenge us and can sometimes bring a difficulty and a strain and a hardness and a, and a pain within us, God is still at work. He's, he's carrying out like a heart operation on us. He's helping us. He's breathing life and goodness into us and helping us in those situations. So that's the Pharisees' background. And they were a very historical group. Now, the Sadducees, they strongly believed in the law of Moses, but they did not believe in the Old Testament was God's word. So you can already see there would be a pressure between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They relied a lot on logic 
and little importance on faith. They did not believe in a bodily resurrection and eternal life, and they did not believe in angels or demons. So there was like a clash there of like the spiritual kind of stuff and, and all this. And they were willing to serve and compromise their values with the Romans in order to maintain their status and influence. So that, again, is something that is, you know, that is like dodges. And when you're always looking to, to withhold your own status and importance in the community by belonging to a certain group, that you will, you know, you'll just serve anything and anything goes kind of thing. So the Pharisees were, were still looking for and longing for the Messiah, but the Sadducees were not. But they were united in opposing Jesus. So why is that? Why you would, what, what is the situation here? They weren't really wanting a sign, if you remember, you know, give us a sign from heaven. They were already, like, rejecting Jesus. There was plenty of signs performed. There was plenty of miracles. There was plenty of truth being spoken about the kingdom of God. But they were already rejecting Jesus because his message was opposing where they were at in heart and in life and in tradition. And they felt threatened by his goodness and his message of grace. Because, of course, Jesus was bringing a message of personal faith in knowing God through him. For the Jew and for the Gentile, salvation by faith alone, God's grace and God's mercy. So Jesus knew their hearts. He knew that they were against him and not for him. So therefore, that's why he spoke about, well, this, you know, if you remember, this adulterous generation, this wicked and adulterous generation, looks for a sign, but none will be given to it. So he was speaking to them. He knew that, you know, all the signs in the world weren't going to change their heart. And that's why he mentioned then about accept the sign of Jonah. So what is the sign of Jonah? Well, when we look at that, there's a couple of things that happened in Jonah's story. If you remember, first of all, he, was, he had a message to take to, to the evil that was going on in Nineveh, wasn't it? And he was swallowed by a fish, a massive whale. would have been a big fish as a whale. For three days, but then he was released and came out of that. Well, there's a, there's a, like, a parallel where Jesus, of course, was in the tomb for three days and released from the tomb from death into life, the resurrection of Jesus. So there's this one parallel of Jonah's message. But the second thing is this, that the message to the people of Nineveh was to turn back from their wrongdoing before God, from the ways of God. He had a message to bring. So he's a prophetic man, and he is like the message that was being brought to the people of Nineveh. And they responded, they turned back to God. If you, when we read those scriptures, they turned back to God because they accepted Jonah's message, his message of, you know, being right before God. And of course, Jesus, Jesus himself is the message, the truth of God, that he died and was risen again, you know, during the, the, our Easter story, which we celebrate the victory of Jesus. And that we can be saved by faith, by grace. And that is open for anyone. For the Pharisees and Sadducees, for the Jews and the Gentiles, there was this message of grace, of goodness, of salvation that we can receive in our lives. So this was the ongoing thing that Jesus had to kind of get across to the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's no good just, you know, obeying your rules and your regulations. That isn't what is going to bring Salvation to people. I am the message. I am God's only Son, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. 
So, what is Jesus saying? Well, what he's saying to everyone who walks this earth is this. You can know God, you can know me through having faith, through believing. Through believing I'm the son of God, that I died on the cross, I was raised again, I've conquered sin, that everything that everyone here sitting down, I have done in the past, will do in the future, is dealt with by the cross. So no longer by being a good boy or girl, doing the right thing all the time, that isn't what brings us eternal salvation, okay? What brings us eternal salvation is the simple faith of God. And it is a sobering thought because when we do decide to follow Jesus, we will see change and transformation within our lives. And it may take a little bit of time and maybe it's a life's journey, which it often is, you know. But God is at work in our hearts. We're open to him and our heart is soft to him and he's changing us and he's developing our character and he's helping us to live a godly, good life. But we know that our salvation is in him. And no matter how much we strive, that can't bring us any closer to God and to that eternal relationship because the work is done and dealt with through Jesus. So this is the sign that Jesus was telling the Pharisees about. This is the only sign I give you, is the sign of Jonah, that I am the message. So that's a truth for us this morning, that salvation is only from Jesus not through any particular religion or God or idol or philosophy, but through a relationship with him. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, this is interesting. What I find really encouraging, as we read in the New Testament, is that two Pharisees actually become Christians in their lives, and it is documented in the New Testament. We have Nicodemus, and we have Saul, very encouraging stories. They were one and convinced by Jesus, and their lives radically changed from their traditional beliefs into the ways of faith in Jesus. So used to living in a particular way and having the history and the knowledge of, of the journey of the Israel nation, but have come to a place of understanding and living a life for Jesus and being changed by him. The words in amazing grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. In just a few words there helps us understand, you know, the goodness of God, how he changes our lives through that one message, how we can be lost one moment and then found because we know Jesus and the, the whole truth of life creation, eternity is revealed to us. And we're released from the bondage of difficulty and sin and wrongdoing. I was blind, but now I see. You know, there was such a, an amazing openness in that statement. Because if you imagine, I, I remember being in primary school and our teacher telling us to be, or explaining us how we can be grateful in life, grateful for who we are, our bodies, you know, what, what makes us a person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And one day they were saying, you know, appreciating things like curing or eyesight or et cetera, et cetera. And she got us to sit down and close our eyes, for, it, was, it seemed to be quite a long time, just to try and imagine or feel for other people who have, you know, who don't have eyesight, just to appreciate the things that we do have when, when we have them. And here, in these amazing grace words, from being blind to being able to see, it's such an amazing 
insight, such an amazing gift, such an amazing, gracious, kind act of God. And of course, for any of us who struggle with anything like physical in life, and you, and you deal with it for like a long time or a short time, it, it's not always the easiest of things, is it? And to get relief from that is such a, a wonderful thing. So here, we're considering, you know, what happened in Nicodemus's life, a conversation with Jesus. He was a Pharisee. He went to Jesus at night. He wanted to find out more. He knew there was something different about Jesus. They were waiting for a Messiah, and Nicodemus obviously had his suspicions, and we can go into all that in John 3, but we don't have time for it. But Jesus explains to him about being spiritually born again, a new creation through faith in him. And then Saul, of course, had his Damascus Road experience, a dramatic and profound change in his life where he was changed um, amazingly by um, Jesus who appeared to him and said, you know, what are you doing, Saul? You know, you're persecuting me. Well, who am I speaking to, God? It's me, Jesus, who you're persecuting. And, and Saul has a huge transformation in his life, changed dramatically, changes his name to Paul, and then the rest is history. And it's all there in the New Testament for us to read where he serves God 100% all the way. So there's that sign that Jesus was talking about to the Pharisees. But also in life, in general, we may not always get the opportunity to hear the words of Jesus. And as a, as a faith-believing group here, part of our life is to go out and spread the good news of Jesus at this Good news is certainly good news, but there's also some verses in Romans here which helps us understand that there's, there's other things to look out for in life. In Romans 1, it says this, look, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So there's Great conversation starters just in life. I don't be over. I get amazed by the world and the, you know, the, the sky and the greater far-flung kind of galaxies and all the rest of it where technology is revealing more and more things to us. But we have a God who created all this and we're kind of without excuse that he is amazing, that he is eternal, that he is powerful. So we can take encouragement this morning that we have experienced this life-changing message by accepting Jesus personally. And for us, maybe it was through an experience or a sign of the kingdom of God speaking to us or a conversation with a friend. There's different ways that God is on our case in life. Maybe a family member, maybe something that happens in our lives and we're reaching out for more and we find that God has something big for us. And like Paul, taking the opportunity to use our lives in genuinely serving God, experiencing his life-giving freedom. So that is like the next part of this great message that when Jesus gets involved in our lives and is helping us in our life's journey, that we can like respond to him and say, God, yeah, thank you so much. And I will do and give myself to you in my life. And of course, seasons come and seasons go where there may be struggles and ups and downs, but there's this like agreement and step of faith in God to take that journey with him, to go with him in all of that. Okay, and just the, the last kind of point I want to look at through these verses 
is this, that there was like a, a disciple, discipleship lesson now from Jesus that was happening, all right? So these are the verses here. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So, of course, the disciples thought Jesus was having to go with them because they forgot the bread. Just, you know, the bread. They forgot the bread, okay? But that is not what Jesus is on about at all. And I don't know about you, but sometimes, can, do you ever experience you kind of get bogged down on minute details of life and get stressed and worried and concerned about it? And we kind of miss the big picture that God has for us. I don't know if you've ever experienced, but I certainly do experience that. I kind of get it here, that where the disciples, of course, they've missed it here for a moment until Jesus kind of starts explaining to them. So the big picture thinking versus the small side issues. And uh, Jesus was telling the disciples, you know, it's not about the bread. It's not about you forgot the bread. It's more to it than that. So there was a warning that Jesus was giving them, and it was this, the warning of the yeast of the Pharisees, to be on guard against it. The teaching of the Pharisees was the basic thing. Be on guard against the teaching of the Pharisees. Now, what is yeast? Well, yeast is used in bread. It's used to be put in the dough to create a reaction. It affects the whole batch. It gets in there. It permeates throughout. It feeds off the sugars in the flour. What happens then? There's a byproduct of carbon dioxide which starts forming bubbles in the dough. The dough is sticky and it stops it from escaping. So there's all bubbles that take place throughout the dough. And then it rises. And then when it comes to cooking the bread, you know, we got, you know, a light fluffy bread. Okay, that's the, that's the work of yeast. But the teaching of the Pharisees, Jesus was warning about when, if a teaching gets into something or into a group or what have you, it causes problems. It causes big problems. So, of course, Jesus is, is the good news. He's the message. He's, he's the one who's doing the hard work, who's going all the way, who's being misunderstood, who's doing great things, producing miracles, accepting people, helping those in need, etc. And then you've got the Pharisees and Sadducees challenging him, not believing in him, not wanting this message, creating grief and stress and heavy, weighing people down with their teachings and with their doctrines. And you can imagine how heartbreaking that is then for, for Jesus going all the way, and yet these guys are like not wanting it. And their teaching is going to affect us, putting pressure on people, putting weight on people, putting expectations on people which people just cannot live up to. So Jesus is warning, you know, be on your guard. Don't get entangled into like religion like this, incorrect practices that, which weigh a person down. It's a horrible feeling when you feel weighed down. It's, it's not nice at all. Now, I know Chloe loves the boiling weather. I don't, I don't mind it warm, but not like boiling, boiling, where you're, you know, probably sweating pints and just a walk from here to there. It's like, oh, I need to sit down now. Being weighed down is, is horrible. Now, there was, a, there was a lad I used to work with in Count Sonic, and um, he had this reputation for always injuring himself. You know, people like that are awkward and clumsy. And um, I went to work one day, you know, somebody hurt his finger or he's hurt his arm, he's done something. And he, had, he was a baldy, didn't have any hair. I walked in and he had a crisscross on the top of his head. Like, he had like two plasters. And it wasn't subtle at all. It was like a big plaster there and a big plaster there. Like a helicopter landing pad on his head. So I went in and said, oh, Mike, what have we done now? <laughs> he goes, oh, he's on the weekend. I, um, 
I just cut some branches down my tree and put the ladder up, and I cut this branch down, but of course the ladder was up against the branch I was cutting down. <laughs> silly, silly. So he fell off, hit his arm on the fence, and I think the branch came down and hit him on the head. It was big, so, you know. That got me thinking about health and safety, and I always remember that. Whenever you're cutting trees and stuff down, always have the right tools. I got a chainsaw, and it's very important that you wear chain mail leggings, right? I got a friend who has a pair of them, and I borrow them. We both got short legs, so that's good. Works out well, isn't it? But goodness me, you try walking in them. It's like you're like a, an astronaut, you are. They're really heavy, really heavy, and they gotta be because if you did have a slip of the chainsaw on it, knocked your leg, you know, you could damage yourself. So there's this there's this heaviness, and it kind of reminds me. When you think of like the law and legalism and heaviness and do this and do that and this is how you are right with God, there's just this heaviness. It's, I can just imagine, oh, this is like wearing those chainmail trousers. You know, they're just weighing me down here. Yeah. But no, Jesus doesn't want us living a life that is weighed down by false religion and difficult teaching and living up to standards that can't be lived to. His life and his love is a message of grace and goodness. And Jesus was warning the disciples, don't fall for it. Don't fall for going back into all that. Live a life of grace in me. Your life will be changed. You will need to take risks. You will be challenged. You will be accused of this, that, and the other. The religious won't like you because you've got this message of grace and you're enjoying and living your life. The disciples were recipients of this wonderful salvation through faith. And that is the same for us, to protect it, to defend it, to defend the message of Jesus, to defend and protect one another with this message of goodness and grace, to remind ourselves of this message of goodness and grace. God's at work in the church, in God's people. This message is to be ripe, is to be fresh, is to be vibrant in our lives, that we live a life of goodness and grace. When we take communion together, we remember and we fellowship in friendship of what Jesus has done for us, that we come to him with open and honest hearts, that if we need to repent of wrongdoing and sin in our lives, we do that there and then. It's a daily routine, the Lord's Prayer, you know? You think of the Lord's Prayer, you know, it's a daily thing. You know, Lord, thank you, you are holy, you are good. Oh, Father in heaven, your name is holy. Let your will that's done on heaven be happening on earth. Forgive us our sins. Help us to forgive other people. Give us today our daily bread, our daily needs. This is a daily thing. Help us to forgive one another. And God is at work in the daily that we need his help. Help from deliverance from evil. You know, this is all real stuff. You know, the message is real. And here he's warning the disciples not to get involved in what the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted to do in their lives. He has gone all the way and done it for us. The price is paid. And Jesus' heart was committed to loving, to doing the right thing, to being the shepherd of his flock. So for us, is reminding ourselves to be the sheep of Jesus' flock, all right? And in Wales, it's pretty easy to remind yourself that you're a sheep, isn't it? Because we've got millions of them around the place. We're a nation of sheep. So let's be aware of the Pharisees' uh, message. And just in closing, the last little point here is just going back a few years ago, well, I say a few years ago, quite a few years ago, I did an apprenticeship, as I mentioned many times before, 
in uh, Finesse, in an engineering environment, in a, in a tool room. That's a press tool, okay? That's what we used to make and maintain in um, our company. And uh, what we had to do there is carry out an apprenticeship. We did a year in college and three years in this place. And, but it was like transitioning from, like a few years ago, you were in school and then you were in comp. And then all of a sudden, you're in like the real world. And it's like, can be a little bit scary. Anyway, so the second year after coming out of college and into the two-room environment, I was working between two gentlemen. One was um, in his 40s, one in his 50s, one as Jehovah's Witness, one a Mormon. And um, I had just become a Christian, all right? I literally just become a Christian like, a, like three months before. And I had a very simple faith in Jesus. Changed, transformed, hope put in my heart. There's a reason for living. There's a reason for creation, for knowing God, that there's eternity. We can live our lives totally for him and with him. Wonderful news. Good news. So grateful to God. And then I got working between these two guys who were entrenched in the teachings of uh, Jehovah's Witness and entrenched in Mormonism. So I, I don't want to like, go criticizing people or anything like that. I'm just saying that you know, these, were, these were how they were living their lives. You know, similarly, like a Pharisee or a Sadducee were living their lives in that particular way, and these guys were living their lives in this particular way. And the more and more I got, got to know them, I, one guy in particular I, I got really friendly with, I really liked him. But then I, it's just when we started talking about well, when we say we started talking, they would talk a lot, and I'd have to listen a lot. And um, it was just this entrenched, you do this, you do that, to be right before God. And then the message, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, to be right before God. And then I'd be with my church friends, knowing the, the message of grace, the, the message of love, the message of being right before God. And it was so, like, opposite. And then I was like, Oh, look, I was, just gonna pr I was just praying for the guys in the background anyway. I didn't really get everything they would say. I was doing this engineering course, trying to get my head around mechanical principles, which is mind-boggling enough. And now I have, was needing to like, learn about these different, you know, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and how they started and how, you know, how those workings work out. So it was quite a full-on heavy time back in the day. But we never kind of argued, but we did agree to disagree. And eventually, my pal with the Jehovah's Witnesses ended up leaving there um, because like, I was praying for him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was back in the early days of Cornerstone. I remember we actually had a prayer meeting, and the whole church at the time were praying for him, praying for him, praying for him. And like within five days, I went into work one day, and he goes, oh, Adam, something has happened. Have you been praying for me? I'm starting to pray to Jesus now. And of course, in, in the, you know, that wasn't a thing, right? Okay, so I won't mention any names, anything like that, but it just wasn't a thing. And he said, it was just, for me, it was so encouraging to see that a message of grace get through an entrenched religious code was so encouraging. And let me tell you, I'm no theologian. I'm, I know, you know, I was just a 17 year old kid who had a faith in Jesus, who was praying, and ask God, please help me say something that makes sense and, you know, does something good. And of course, God was at work. God was at work. And it brought change and transformation. And I still pop in to see my pal from time to time, who's now well into his 70s. Um, I'm very grateful for his life. So 
just to be encouraged today, guys, is to hold on to the goodness of Jesus, his grace, his love and compassion. When Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians, they'd slipped into a little bit of like the Jewish guys were telling the Gentile believers they needed to obey this kind of Jewish law in order to be saved. And Paul was like showing this being on guard. He was in there. He was addressing it. You know, don't, in Galatians 5, one says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And it is this message of not falling into religion and getting caught up in all that, but to know the freedom of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So what I want to do, I was going to pray and when we pray, I'm going to read through a few verses from John 14, because when God is at work in our hearts, it's very important to be transformed as well, you know, that we don't slip to the other end. The other extreme is we just go live in our lives willy-nilly and doing what we want, and, you know, the, you know, it's just, that isn't what God is doing. He's transforming and changing us. The, like, the, the old school term is being sanctified, becoming more like Jesus, that's why he's interested in your life. That's why he's interested in your life. Because he wants to transform you into his likeness. He wants to transform me into his likeness. And it will take time. But God is at work. And for us, the part that we play is we have faith. Faith in Jesus. That he's in us and doing something amazing in our lives. So let's close our eyes. I'll pray and read through these verses here just to encourage us uh, at this time. So John 14, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will be my teaching and my father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. So Lord, we just pray again today that in this message from you, Lord, the message in the boat to the disciples, to us living now in 2023, this message of being weary against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We pray for all wisdom and insight, Lord, to never be caught up in religious rules and circumstances which claim to bring us nearer to you. But we live in that message of grace, of forgiveness, of love, and we live out of that freedom, Lord. And in that journey, we pray again, Lord, that you would transform our hearts as people, that we wouldn't slip into religion like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and get caught up in those things, but we would know how to be a gracious person, a compassionate person, a person who wants to shape their lives in and through you, that we, like these verses say about Obeying your teaching, Lord. May our hearts be open to obeying your teaching. May we not be caught up in our own agendas and what we want to do all the time, but be those who listen to the still voice of God that helps us and teaches us and directs us into a freedom and a love and a grace which the world can't give us, Lord. We're grateful to you this morning. We pray that our hearts would be softened right now. For those of us, Lord, who may have a struggle going on at this present moment, a difficulty, we're caught out in something, we're struggling with issues, there's a challenge upon our family, upon our lives,
upon us as an individual. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in our hearts now. That we would know the softness of God, the love of God, the compassion of God in our lives. And may, may we be those, Lord, who look out for others, who have a kind word to say. And the love of Christ uh, loving and living through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Chloe, thank you. Thank <laughs> you.